Good morning. Uh, so I'm Tim. I'm a student here. Um, and I want to start today by asking a question. Who are you? Uh, just ask yourself for a moment. Just think about it. Who, who am I? Well, not who am I, but who are you? Who are you? Um, in fact, I'm just going to give you 30 seconds to ask the person next to you, who are you? So 30 seconds, really quickly, ask the person next to you and see what they say. Who are you? Right, okay, okay. Brilliant, this is always a risk. Yeah, good, got you back together nice and easily. It's a hard question to answer, right? I don't know, I don't know where to start when I'm asked the question, who are you? Or if, if you meet someone for the first time, you've never met them before, and you want to sort of find out who they are, what do you ask? Do you go, who are you? Not normally. I don't know how to answer that question. I wonder how many of us started with our age, where we were born, who our parents are, where we're from. I'm from Lancaster, and I know you all wish that was true for you. Um, but, but sadly, it's not. Um, I also wonder how many of us answer the question with uh, what we do. Maybe we're a student or a doctor or a teacher or something about who we are, like the fact that we're a mother or a father, uh, a sister or a, a child of God even. It's a difficult question to answer, and I really don't know how to answer it myself. Um, you may remember a month or so ago, Toby spoke sort of on this topic of who we are, and I was really struck by the importance of it. Who we are is not found in what we do or what we have, but something more fundamental. It's not found in our failures or our success, our status or lack of it, but someone and something more secure. But who are we apart from what we do and what we have? And how do we find out? Well, this morning, as we continue in Paul's letter to the Philippians, I think we're going to find out a little bit more about how we find out who we are, where our identity is. Uh, yeah, so... Uh, without further ado, let's hit the passage. Uh, this morning we're in Philippians 3, verses 1 to 14. It's on the screen, so if you've got a Bible, then whap it open in there as well. So, finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is not troublesome to me, and for you it is a safeguard. Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of those who mutilate the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and boast in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Even though I too have reason for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain, gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death. If somehow I may attain uh, the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, 
I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. So, where are we in the letter to the Philippians? So, a bit of context to remind us as we get going. It's a friendship letter. Paul considers the Philippians his friends and is giving them a bit of an encouragement. Um, maybe imagine uh, a friend of yours and a mentor coming alongside you with a firm arm around the back and giving you a bit of advice, a bit of a chivying on. Uh, the Philippian Christians at the time are, are suffering. Um, Philippi, the town where they are, was a Roman stronghold, and the people of Philippi uh, were sort of uh, oppressing and sort of trying to force pagan ideals on the Christians there. And so Paul is seeking to encourage them in that time of suffering, and the passage continues that theme. Um, Paul also, as he writes this, is in chains himself, and so it's a suffering man giving encouragement to his suffering friends. And I just want to stop and think about Paul for a moment, because Paul is in chains as he writes this. And I think that Paul is a wonderful example, not just because he's in chains and he's writing a brilliantly encouraging letter, just because the man he is. I don't know about you, but I've often wanted to be a bit more like Paul. Uh, he spends his life planting churches, sailing around, getting shipwrecked, being put in prison, and then planting more churches before going in more boats and getting shipwrecked and planting more churches and going in prison. And for me, that just sounds like a, well, a bit of an adventure, really. Maybe you don't think that sounds like an adventure, but I still think there's a lot to learn from Paul. Paul encapsulates that sort of desire that's in my heart to be on fire for Jesus and to, to run after him with all I have. And I wonder if you sort of wish that your life was a bit more like Paul's as well. Paul really knows who he is, and he lives out of that identity. In Acts 9, uh, when Paul is uh, converted, these words are spoken over him. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. Paul knows who he is and he knows why he's chosen and the purpose which comes with that identity. So as we move on and we see what Paul has to say to his Philippian friends, we should keep bearing in mind that he is a, a storming example of what it means to know who you are and to live out of that. So this morning my talk's going to be in three sections. Why, uh, what, why and how. So what does Paul want to say to the Philippians and to us this morning? Why does he want to say it and how is that going to turn out? So as we begin the passage, Paul warns the Philippians away from circumcision. He's worried that Jewish influences are going to come and corrupt the gospel he's preached. He's concerned that, that these people who he calls dogs are going to insist that to be a follower of Jesus, it's necessary to become a Jew. And part of that meant circumcision, a sign of identity, culturally and religiously. Now, Paul is pretty definite in his, in his rejection of this idea. He says, no, we are the circumcision. Now, if you think about the sentence for a minute, it's a bit of a weird sentence, because I, I personally don't feel like the circumcision. But I don't, I don't think he means that literally. Um, I think what he means, rather, is that we ourselves, through who we are and how we live, distinctively show ourselves to be followers of Christ. And Paul lists three of these distinctives at the start of the passage. Service of God by his spirit, boasting in Christ Jesus, and putting no confidence in the flesh. And the third of these three, putting no confidence in the flesh, I suggest is Paul's big point in this passage. And my first point this morning, what Paul wants his friends, the Philippians, to grasp, and us to grasp too, is that life of faith in Jesus 
entails that we should put no confidence in the flesh. So what's the flesh? William Barclay, a Scottish theologian, uh, broadcaster and minister of the last century, says that when Paul talks of the flesh, he means what man has made himself in contrast with man as God has made him. The flesh is man as he has allowed himself to become in contrast with man as God has meant him to be. So the flesh can be seen as the person that we have each made for ourselves, separate from the person uh, as, which God has made us to be. And maybe that sounds a bit abstract, but um, Paul gives us a nice list in verses 5 and 6. He says that he was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law faultless. This is the flesh which Paul is rejecting. All of these things, the status which he's built up, he chooses to leave that behind. Um, for him, being a Christian means leaving all of those things behind. He chooses to count it as loss. Now, most of us here aren't Jewish, and all of us here aren't living in the first century AD, but we still put confidence in the flesh. We choose to put confidence in the things we've made for ourselves, our successes, maybe our failures even, our status and our lack of it. Thinking back to the start of the talk, how did you answer that question, who am I? What is it in which you define yourself? I wonder how much of that knowledge came from, uh, our answer came from a knowledge of what God says about us and how much comes from the world around us. I want to be clear here that I'm not saying that everything we said at the start was wrong or untrue or unhelpful, not at all. A lot of it might have been right. But what I am saying is we need to approach this question uh, from the right perspective, a perspective which doesn't try to find its identity in what we build for ourselves or what the world says or wants to say about us, but instead looks for God. Now, there are many places um, that I know that I choose to define myself, and I can see it in the way that I chase after things. So I, I study classics here, um, and sometimes I'll be like, right, oh, just feeling a little bit insecure for a week, and so I'll be like, right, I'm going to be the world's best classicist. And so I'll spend the week working my socks off, and at the end of the week, I'll be burnt out, I'll be shattered, and I'll realise that actually, I'm not very good at classics. And so the next week, the next week, I will run after one of my other great loves, which is mountains, right, I'm going to be the world's best mountaineer. And now, once again, I really love climbing mountains, but I'm not going to become the world's best mountaineer. And neither thing is bad. My degree has a purpose, and my love of climbing mountains has a purpose, but neither of them are meant to define me. And actually, chasing after both of them is just not a good idea. And chasing after identity in both of them is not a good idea. So maybe that's a starting point for some of us as we start to think about who we are. Maybe a starting point is thinking about those things which we chase after. We chase the places where we put our identity or we seek to put our identity and we chase after it. Maybe if you open your diary and you think about the places you're spending your time. Where are those places and why do you spend your time there? So what does Paul say? Paul says that we should put no confidence in the flesh, that we should count it as loss next to the all-surpassing worth of Christ. And that brings us to the why, the second point. Uh, why we should put no confidence in the flesh is because uh, the all-surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Uh, a preliminary comment to make here is that for Paul, uh, knowing Christ and putting confidence in the flesh seem not to be able to happen at once. It's kind of like a sliding scale, it would seem to me, where you've got knowing Christ fully on one end and fully putting confidence in the flesh on the other end. 
And sort of life is this sort of process of, of sort of a Christian life process of sort of coming to know God more and more fully, of working towards putting less confidence in the flesh and knowing Christ more fully. Um, and Paul says he hasn't made it. In verse 12, he, he says uh, he's not finished yet, but he's urging us to move towards Christ. He chooses to leave behind the flesh step by step and start a journey towards knowing Christ more and more fully because knowing Christ is so much better, so much better than everything, in fact. And why is it so much better? He gives two reasons. Firstly, that he might gain Christ and be found in him. And secondly, that he might have a righteousness that is in Christ. And the first reason brings us back to our big question. Who am I? Um, Paul says that there's surpassing worth in knowing Christ because then we might be found in him. We might find who we are in the person of Jesus. It's through relationship with Jesus um, that we find who we are. Now, this sentiment is also carried in Jesus' words in Matthew 16, 25, which I think is going to appear on the screen. Um, yeah, Jesus says that uh, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. And this same idea is captured in this passage, that we find our lives when we surrender them for the sake of Jesus. Now, this doesn't mean that we sell everything and live as a hermit. Not necessarily. It also doesn't mean that we become identical Christian robots, devoid of individual personality. Quite the opposite. God created each of us. The psalmist says that before the foundations of the earth, he knew us, and that he knitted each of us together in our mother's wombs. Therefore, coming to know who he created us to be uh, is learning to become fully alive fully alive as the unique human being he created us to be, with God's image and character shining through each of us uniquely. And I don't know about you, but I find the idea of finding that very exciting. And Paul is telling us how we find it. We find it when we leave behind our confidence in the flesh and choose to put our confidence and identity in Jesus. So how are we seeking to know Jesus? I don't know where you feel you are on that scale between putting confidence in the flesh and fully knowing Jesus. But there's always more to know. There's always more to see. So maybe something to think about is, is how do I get to know Jesus more fully? Where are the places where I see him more at the moment? Maybe he's put more time into that, more effort. Paul's under no illusions that knowing Christ is worth, is, is worth it. It's better than everything. So how do we make that the top priority? Spending time in his word, spending time in his presence. The second reason why knowing Jesus is so much better encapsulates the, the good news of our faith, that our salvation into abundant life, into relationship with our Heavenly Father, does not depend on what we do. Our salvation comes from a righteousness, a being good enough, which depends on faith in Jesus alone. We do not need to build our own success. We're not defined by our successes or our failures. We are loved as we are, and there is nothing we can do to make God love us more and nothing we can do to make him love us less. If you're new to this church thing and haven't come to, sort of, to know the God that we worship for yourself, then I encourage you to speak with the person that you came with this morning or come forward for prayer later. We'd love to pray with you and introduce you to him. He really does bring the best news. And I just, um, Toby brought that word before about quieting off all the voices as well. And I wonder if, as we're coming to know Jesus more fully today, this morning, 
that actually if he wants to sing words over us, words of identity, words about who we are. Um, in Zephaniah, I think it's Zephaniah 3.17, looks up before, um, he talks about God promises that he's going to sing over Zephaniah. And I think he wants to sing over some of us today with words of who we are. Um, and maybe as well, just in your own time, when you're back home uh, spending time with, with God, maybe that's something to ask him to do, to sing over you, to speak words of life, of affirmation of who you are. So Paul wants us to know that we should put no confidence in the flesh because knowing Christ is so much more because that is where we find our righteousness and that is where we find who we are. And that brings us on to the how. Uh, what does Paul say about how this life will be? This life of finding ourselves in Jesus and not putting confidence in the flesh, um, Paul uh, firstly say, first says in uh, verse 10 that he wants to know Christ and that that means that he wants to know um, the power of his resurrection and to share in his suffering. The journey of life with Jesus is full of power, the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in us, but it will also hurt. Here we should remember the context that Paul is writing to his Philippian friends who are suffering from persecution um, from those around him, and Paul is encouraging them in that suffering. But he, he's also encouraging us that actually when suffering comes, we too should remember that what we're doing there is participating in Christ. Now this doesn't mean that we should be obnoxious Christians who run around seeking persecution, but rather what it means is that as we organise our lives around the pursuit of Jesus, and as the world around us gets slightly offended when our priorities aren't as they would like them to be, as we bring the disapproval of maybe our friends, our peers, our colleagues, or even our family members, we can be encouraged that Christ too suffered and that part of knowing him is sharing in his suffering. I also think it speaks into the personal pain that choosing to uh, sort of place in a... Uh, I think of the word, I've lost the word, but sort of replace our identity and where it should be placed. Um, I think it speaks into the pain of that. It's hard to lay things down that we put our identity in, whether they are good or bad, whether they're successes or failures. Um, it's going to hurt. This last week there have been builders uh, outside my house putting in new lamp posts, and it's been an absolute nightmare. They've been like fencing off different doors. You've sort of seen people on different days of the week walking out of their door and going, how am I meant to get out? Sort of these builders digging up the, the, um, the pavement outside, and it happened to us a couple of times, and it's just been a nightmare. They've arrived at 7.30, haven't been able to sleep in properly. It's been, it's been horrible. Um, but I trust that what they're doing is for the better, that those new lampposts are going to be a vast improvement on the old. Maybe it's not the most profound uh, sort of metaphor or allegory for this, but I do think that it speaks some truth into the fact that Change hurts, but what God is doing is for the better. That Knowing him uh, really is uh, all-surpassing of everything else. The journey to knowing who we are is not a bed of roses. It's real life, but Paul is clear that it's worth it. Death had to come before the resurrection, and after pain comes the glory. And finally, in the last few verses, Paul encourages his Philippian friends to press on towards the prize. Here Paul suggests that how we keep going on this journey of the Christian life is with our eyes up. While we keep going in the day-to-day, -day, as we learn to thrive, we need to keep our eyes on the destination. That needs to be our motivation. Now, we don't need to do this alone. It's important to remember that this letter would have been read out corporately in front of the whole church. 
And so it's a corporate encouragement for each other to help each other keep our eyes up. That as we meet together in church and at home groups, as we worship, um, we should be pointing each other up towards the bigger picture, towards the prize. Encouraging each other to put our identity in the, the person that, that God has told us that we are. Encouraging each other um, in the places that we see somebody else's identity that maybe we don't see for ourselves. So who am I? According to Paul, the answer to that question is found in the person of Jesus. He knows who we are. He created us. And we need to choose day by day to leave behind the confidence which we might place in the flesh, in who we say that we are, leaving behind the ways that we seek to create our own identities and instead pursue Christ. And as we pursue Christ, as we know him more and more fully, that is when we come to know Jesus. And that is when we come to know ourselves. It's not going to be easy. In fact, Paul says it's going to be difficult. But if we keep our eyes on the prize, we can make it. So Jesus doesn't leave us to our own devices in this. He sends his spirit to empower us, to work in us and through us. And we're going to have some time to do that now. Um, so the band is going to come and lead us in some worship. And as that happens, there's going to be uh, space at the front for you to come forward and uh, receive prayer for whatever it is you might want prayer for. Um, maybe if anything from what I've said has, has, has struck a chord or what Toby said um, or anything else that the Lord is doing, please just come forward. Uh, we'd love to pray with you. Some people from home groups will come and pray with you. And if you don't know Jesus for yourself and there's something this morning that has uh, impacted your heart, then please uh, come forward. We'd love, to, we'd love to introduce you to him. So let's stand and I'll pray. Jesus, we thank you that our identity isn't placed in the shifting sands of status. It's not placed in the things that we do or the things that we have. We thank you that you created us and you know who we are. And we ask that we would know more fully who you say we are. Lead us to know you more fully, and as we do that, to know ourselves. Amen.